In this episode of Balancing the Christian Life, we talk about the last part of digital literacy, collaboration. Welcome to Balancing the Christian Life. I'm Dr. Kenny Embry. We'll talk about how to be better Christians and people in the digital age. Let's go. It's dark when I get up this morning. Katie has gotten in the shower, and I've gone out to the kitchen to make her some coffee. For as long as we've been married, I have never gotten the right amount of creamer. It's always a little too much, but it will still be gone in about half an hour. I wake up Kent and Abby. It can be tricky because sometimes Abby will be both groggy and irritated, so I have to tread carefully. Kent always wakes up the same way. He opens his eyes, squints, and you can tell he doesn't know where he is. In about 10 seconds, he'll sit up, look around his room, and start getting ready for the day. I make my own cup of coffee and sit down on the couch where I have my laptop. I check some email, and then promptly at 6 o'clock, I am notified there's a new post at the Chapter Day group on Facebook. Today we're in Romans, the 14th chapter. We've already been through Luke, Acts, Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon, and Matthew, and we're nearly through Romans. In the next few hours, I can pretty well predict what's going to happen. Donna is a nurse who often works the night shift. She will probably have read the chapter through or three times and may have a question or two. Bev up in Louisville often answers some of those questions, but she won't be the only one. Katie lives in rural Illinois, and at some point she will tell someone else he explained something in the chapter that she hadn't noticed before. In about an hour, Logan in Texas will post two simple words, checking in. That makes me smile. Steve is a longtime evangelist with an encyclopedic knowledge and a generous way of answering questions fully and with excellent context. He's pretty good at explaining why a passage could be misunderstood. In about two more hours, Andy will distill the entire chapter into three important lines that show an immediate application. Chris may get back on and say how today's chapter convicts him, applies to us, or shows us something about how to view and act in the world. If I think I can contribute, I might add a few paragraphs about what I've learned, what I think Paul means, and how it might work in our lives. I can usually count on some good comments from Ed, Fritz, J.D., Nathan, Dean, Janice, Linda, Glenda, Hal, Brandy, and the list goes on. We're a whole cast of characters who have formed a community and found ways to positively contribute. We're doing something else as well, though. We're producing a commentary on the New Testament one chapter at a time, one day at a time. And so far as I know, Nobody has fought. Nobody has debated about masks or Trump versus Biden or vaccines or shared any cat videos. We study the Bible and contribute as well as we know how. And that's pretty cool. This is a group that couldn't exist without the Internet. We live too far apart. We couldn't contribute and distribute in real time. We couldn't afford to pay for all the expertise available for free. There's too many of us. In all, there's probably about 80 to 100 of us that may contribute to the discussion in a day. By the end of the day, we probably have 20 to 40 pages of discussion. Without social media, we couldn't do this. But because of online communication, a bunch of people interested in understanding the Bible have created a pretty complete discussion on one chapter of the New Testament. The seventh part of digital literacy is connected to contributing well and building community. 
Once you know how to do those two things, you're ready to do something you couldn't do before. You're ready to collaborate. Most people are familiar with Wikipedia or the online encyclopedia, which is created by user contributions. As a professor, we are often conflicted about this website because it can be edited by anybody with an internet connection. Any particular entry can change over time and include stuff which is just flat out wrong. And that's why it can't be a completely reliable source. For example, today's explanation of the 1929 stock market crash might read differently tomorrow. But because a group of people fact-checked, revise, update, and rewrite without being paid, because they have a passion for the topic, often the stuff on Wikipedia represents the most current and accurate information available. Not always, but often. It ends up being the most up-to-date encyclopedia you could never buy, but freely use. If I'm trying to figure out something, <laughs> Wikipedia is often my first stop. That's pretty cool. But online actions aren't confined to study groups or user-created encyclopedias. Social movements like Me Too or Black Lives Matter, business funding platforms like Kickstarter or Indiegogo, charitable contribution sites like GoFundMe, Patreon, or Buy Me a Coffee all take groups of people and coordinate what they want to have happen and make it possible. And that's a very cool thing. Christians online have an opportunity to do a lot of amazing things when they decide to participate. I've already talked about the online Bible study that we have, which involves about 4,400 people. But I could just as easily talk about the guys over at Appian Media, who travel to the Holy Lands to produce professional documentaries Christians can watch for free on YouTube. Or I could talk about how Christians can give money to help a stranger whose home was devastated by a tornado across town or across the world. Or they could follow someone firsthand who's going through a terrible diagnosis. The advantages of these tools mean we don't have to rely on secondhand information. We can see, read, and hear from the sources themselves. I think many churches and Christians limit how and what they can do with digital tools. Understanding the constraints online communication takes away I'd like to suggest there are three types of things we can and should do. First, we need to start learning more than we ever thought possible about things that are important to understand. Secondly, communicate and support others to build the relationships that need building. And third, create things together that we could not create by ourselves. When I was growing up, almost every church I attended had a cork bulletin board with several of the same items and a hanging tray of little booklets, which covered short Christian ideas in a few pages. My mom told me they were called tracks. One might talk about baptism and another might talk about worship services and so on. On the bulletin board would often be a paper with names and jobs for people for the different services. So Sam might have to lead singing on Sunday morning and we might need somebody to lead a closing prayer. There would also be several letters and pictures I found out later that those were letters from evangelists we supported around the world. Occasionally, a meal list would be posted where people could sign up to make a meal for the family who had either lost a loved one or had somebody who was ill. Perhaps someone would post a small group announcement and meeting times and what they were doing. And of course, a newsletter or bulletin with a Christian article and some news people might want to know. Occasionally, a preacher visiting from a place we helped with money 
would come and visit our congregation where they could show us photos of members from their churches and try to tell a few of their stories. I can still hear the hum and click from the old slide projectors and the big trays of slides. Inevitably, at least one slide was upside down and backwards. Some churches would put pictures of their members on the wall and maybe print up a directory with contact information. And only occasionally, I would see a wooden box with a slot in the top labeled Suggestions. The problem with the church bulletin board and all its friends was they lived at the building. So the only opportunity most ever had to find out what was going on was on Sunday or Wednesday, if your church meant then. The other five or six days a week, nobody saw it. I rarely saw anybody reading the letters from the foreign evangelists or the tracts. The information the congregation needed was locked up on Mondays. The building was where our church stuff lived. I don't know if they still print tracts today, but I'm grateful the information they had is pretty easy to find online. The sermons we could only hear on Sunday are now available almost any day of the week at any time of the day for churches who make them available. And if you didn't understand it the first time, you can listen to it again. The work list has largely migrated online and thankfully comes through for me on my text messages. The bulletins can now be distributed via email, in a private Facebook group, or on the website. And by the way, I think Facebook probably makes the most sense here. Once you find out someone is in the hospital, the conversation about how to help the family can happen in the comments below. And reports from supported evangelists can now be a Zoom conversation where we can meet the people they would once try to describe and see the conditions they once had to put in a tray of Kodachrome slides. The letters they wrote can now be emails or Facebook posts. I know one church in Brandon, Florida that routinely takes the letters from their foreign evangelists and photos and posts them in their Facebook group where all the members can read it when they're not at the building. That's a great idea. The information we once locked in the building at least five days a week can now be available to everyone all the time. But that's not all the information we have access to. Researching our members is probably one of the most underrated potentials of online tools. Using free survey software, we can now ask people about their opinions anonymously. If you want to know how many people feel uncomfortable not wearing masks to the building, you can ask them to share their feelings anonymously. If you wanted to see how much information people know about the Bible, you can now anonymously ask them what they know or what they feel like they're weak in. Growing up, I often heard about the problems someone felt a congregation had. They may say the members didn't know enough about the minor prophets, or the members were uncomfortable studying the Song of Solomon, and I always wondered the same question. How do you know that? An easy way to fix that is ask. And if the questions are sensitive, don't make them share their names. Look, there are a lot of other ways to learn more by leveraging this digital literacy, but communicating with an audience is another important way we build relationships. In episode 58, Wes McAdams talked about how blogs, podcasts, and videos are a great supplement to Sunday. I kind of like that wording, but let me unpack what I think he's saying. In Acts 2, we're told the first Christians met daily and ate meals together from house to house. They were constantly in each other's business. However, most of us don't have that constant contact with other Christians. For better or worse, Christians' worship service often happen in a format that we've gotten used to. It looks something like this. 
someone will give a number of announcements about important things happening with members or projects that the local church is taking on. Someone will help us think about the crucifixion to help us participate in the communion in the right mindset. Someone else will help us sing about God and our relationship to him. Then someone, usually a preacher, will give a 20 to 45 minute speech we call a sermon. These sermons are often directed to individuals in the audience that need to be strengthened or consider what's not going well in their Christian walk. A few prayers are offered on behalf of our church, and then we go home and repeat the process next week. I'm not criticizing any of that. I think this is a perfectly good format for conducting a church service. And I think churches that make the sermon available for people to listen to afterwards is a great thing. But what other ways can you communicate with your congregation that would help them on Tuesday or Thursday? A sermon is a specific format for a specific time. Likewise, a sermon is a one-way communication where one person talks and everyone else listens. But let me ask you this. If you've listened to any of my conversation with other Christians, did you learn something? What advantages are there to a conversation format? Do the conversations help you understand something better? Likewise, do you always have 20 to 45 minutes of time to listen to or watch a sermon? Do you think it would be helpful to have something available that lasted 10 or 15 minutes? Do you think it would be helpful to your Christian walk if you heard from people in a panel discussion talk about something for longer? I'm not suggesting we get rid of the Sunday sermon. I think that's perfectly reasonable. But I am suggesting we can communicate more, which would help Christians grow better. And doing that online is a great way to do it. Further, what if there was a topic which your members had a question about? Would a five-minute video help them understand it better? And don't worry if it doesn't look like Stephen Spielberg directed it. We often want the people we know to explain the ideas we don't. I was talking to a buddy of mine, Mark Roberts, who has recently started his own podcast, Monday Morning Coffee with Mark. <laughs> Mark feeds his daily caffeinated addiction and takes a deeper dive on the sermon he just preached on Sunday. Then he gives a preview to the week's Bible reading program chapters. What a great idea. He has just reinforced his sermon and helped give his congregation context for what they will be reading this week. He told me his members love it. I will never understand his caffeinated addiction, but Mark is creating stuff for his congregation which connects them back to Christianity and each other in small chunks. Mark McCrary and his congregation create a daily Facebook video where they spend four minutes to help explain a biblical concept. Edwin and Andrew have created a weekday 15-minute Bible study podcast talking through a reading in the Bible. None of these fit a sermon format, yet all help the church members learn and maintain contact with their congregation. Finally, the digital literacy of collaboration allows us to make things we couldn't make on our own. I introduced this literacy by talking about the New Testament commentary we're writing every day in that reading group I help manage. 
we will have written a commentary on the 16th chapter of Romans in as many days. If we were going to publish it, we would want to edit it, get permissions and so on. But the fact is, we are creating something together we could not create separately. But that's far from all we can do. Collaboration also allows us to pull together a list of Bible resources in minutes when it could take weeks or months. We can pull together all the best Christian podcasts. We can pull together our funds to help people make videos in the Holy Lands to help us better understand the Bible. We could pull together our best singers to learn a song faster. We could pull together a group of Christian experts to talk about the crisis of manhood from across the world. We could even create a lectureship series involving evangelists in Africa, Australia, Germany, and Oklahoma on the same day. We can also answer important and pivotal questions about Christianity in minutes. I said last week I started a Balancing the Christian Life private Facebook group. We currently have a little over 300 members. I've been asking some simple questions, and the answers have blown me away. I asked about spiritual heroes, and heard about mothers, preachers, children, and others who know things I don't know and have done things I couldn't imagine. We are creating a group who care about Christianity and each other. And it happened in about a week. That's a pretty cool thing to make. And it's simply impossible to do that without the digital literacy of collaboration. So, today my chapter day group is writing another commentary on Romans 14. I also know, if today is like others, nobody's going to be talking about vaccines, Trump or Biden, masks or anything else. We're devoted to the Bible and each other. There's something very good about that. And I'm proud to be a part of something that uses these digital tools well. So how can you take the digital literacy of collaboration and make your part of the world better? As for the good thing I'm thinking about, <laughs> I'm grateful for cell phones. I'm now the father of two college students and two middle schoolers. It's fun getting little snippets of their lives when they text me something that's going on that excites them. It's a weird feeling watching your kids make decisions I made decades ago, but I'm grateful I am never more than a phone call or a text message away. That's a good feeling. Next week on the program, I plan to celebrate my one-year anniversary of podcasting with a few friends I've made because of the podcast. It was a fun conversation, and I look forward to sharing it with you. I want to again thank those who have financially supported the podcast, like Kevin Hansen, George Sanchez, Barbara McWayne, Craig Embry, Mark Russell, Jerry Wright, and my parents. If you'd like to support us as well, please look for Balancing the Christian Life on Patreon. So until next week, let's be good and do good.